are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. Well, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, praise team. Well, children are making it out, and our fearless leader, Bethany's leading the way. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4, reading verses 7 through 12. I've titled the message, A Divided Heart is Not a Broken Heart. A Divided Heart is Not a Broken Heart. And we're going to be going a little deeper today, so... Uh, you know, you'll often hear me say, buckle your seat belts or your pew belts and, and listen closely. Southern Baptists, our denomination, I believe, is in a crisis. Uh, over the last 20 plus years, baptisms among teenagers, according to the church annual report, has decreased by 95%. Okay, so over the last 20 years, the largest evangelical denomination outside of the Catholics, um, teenage baptisms have de- decreased by 95%. Now, if that doesn't startle you, it should. I think part of the problem is, is that Southern Baptists have been moving away from our foundations. Um, One of these is we're looking to the Presbyterian. I love the Presbyterian, but we're different. Uh, We're moving toward organizational structures now to where we're moving away from pastor-led, deacon-served, committee-run, to we're moving now to elders. And we're Southern Baptists are messing up We don't understand elders like our Presbyterian brothers and sisters do. And so we are making some errors in organizational structure, and we're making some errors doctrinally. We're moving toward Calvinism. And it's not just a Calvinism, it is a strong Calvinism, what we would call hyper-Calvinism, double predestination, that God, when God was creating man, he created some for heaven, he created some for hell. And it was predestined before time, before the fall of man, that God had already worked it out, and there's nothing that has anything to do with man's free will. And, and so Southern Baptists are moving in some dangerous areas and really in all honesty in areas that I don't think we understand and I really believe that Presbyterian have the ability to help us and they're not doing that so this is a little more difficult sermon James chapter 4 beginning at verse 7 and let me say this James gives us nine imperatives and when we say imperatives these are commands and I really believe that if we can understand and implement these nine imperatives, it would revolutionize our life. It would change our life. So listen to what James says. In James chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, 
and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are, who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray again. And everybody look this way real quickly. I want you to reach and take the hand of somebody. And I want everybody to look this way. In the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham and he called the Jewish people, he said, Abraham, he said, I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. Right now, Israel is in disarray. Cowardless attacks by terrorists. Uh, the same thing we experienced in 2001 in New York City. I want young people, I want you to listen closely. It's not funny. Israel is a part of the divine plan of God. Please understand that. And I believe one of the things that we can do right now is we can pray for peace right now for the Jewish people. So let's do that now. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we love you and praise you. Lord, we don't believe in displacement or replacement theology. We don't believe that God has discarded the Jewish people or that nation because of the church. We believe that, dear Lord, we're both part of the divine plan of God, the old covenant and the new covenant, Israel and the church. Lord, we pray today for the Jewish people, for the Israelites, for the nation of Israel. We pray, dear Lord, for those that have experienced loss through cowardly attacks done by terrorists. We understand that well. We pray, dear Lord, that you would bring peace as only you can. We ask you to wrap your arms around the nation of Israel, its leadership. We pray for Washington. We pray for our leaders. That, Lord, they will give good, sound leadership right now into a world that seems to be so broken. And Lord, we ask you to, again to bring peace to the Middle East. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Let's say that name together, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I wrote down, imagine there were principles that could revolutionize your life. I mean, change your life forever. I mean, change the trajectory of your life. Put you in favor 
with God to the degree that God could begin to bless you in a way you've never been blessed before. I want you to think about it this way. Suppose that I told you that if you stand right here, that this is a place where God can bless you. If you stand over here, this is a place that God will not only not bless you, but God's going to discipline and chasten you. Now let me ask you something, where do you want to stand? You're pointing over there, that's right. You see what James is doing, the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, the oldest sibling, only one older was Jesus, by the divine conception of God to Mary. James is telling you and I, he's saying, listen, if you want a life that God can bless, if you want a life that God can come alongside of you and you can feel His presence, His power, His peace, His provision, then you need to be right here. And let me tell you what that looks like. Let me tell you what that looks like. And so he starts here. Now, in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, James gives us commands. David Jeremiah said this in his book, Turning Toward Integrity. Listen to what he says. He said, James uses a series of Greek imperatives to communicate nine key principles of God's grace for the believer. In other words, imperative is the word for command. James, what James does is he said, listen, if you and I can incorporate these nine principles into our life, it's going to change our life. You'll never be the same. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems important to me. So let's get started. Let's look at three of them today. Number one, James says this. He says, give complete control to the lordship of Jesus Christ and to his indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what the word submit means. Now let me read it again. First principle, you and I need to give complete control to the lordship of Jesus Christ and to the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now did you hear that? Let me ask you a question, who controls your life? Let me ask you a question, not only who controls your life, but who do you go to when you're making a major decision in your life? Whose counsel do you go to? What process do you go through when you're navigating life, or you're at a crossroads, or you don't know what to do? Everybody look this way. If it is not to the Word of God and to prayer and to the counsel of spiritual leaders that God has brought into your life, then my friend, you are, you are basically bankrupting your life. You know, my grandson, my... Legend Alicia and some of our people today will be flying to Edinburgh, Scotland. And Caleb, who's a very intuitive young man, a kid, he's asked his mom about the safety of the journey, about the plane, about the... And you know, we could give Caleb a long instruction, and we could even say things like this. You're more likely to be killed by a meteor than to die in a plane crash. Did you know that? That's a probability. Where's Russell at? Russell's going to be flying. Where? He's in the parking lot. He's listening, though. He's watching live stream. See, Russell's got an opportunity to fly 
and to with his job and I think this is the first time he's ever flown. Wouldn't you love to be a fly in the plane watching Russell? Bell's back there laughing the loudest. But you know, we could give my grandson, we could talk about his, his grandfather's an aero, his great-grandfather is an aerospace engineer. Put men on the moon. We could talk about all of that, but instead the conversation should be, I'll tell you why we're going. We're going to draw this family close to each other, close to God, and we're going to be about the kingdom's work while we're all along the way. We're going to be talking to people about Christ. We're going to be salt, light, and yeast in the terminal, in the plane, in Edinburgh. Everywhere we go, we're going to be busy spreading the gospel in an area where many of those people have turned away from the gospel. God's sending us there like salt, light, and yeast. We're going to be busy because we're going to be building the kingdom of God. You see, what James is saying here, he's saying submit means to fall in rank. It means to know what your place is within the will, the purpose, and the plan of God. What does God, what is God doing with me right now? What has He called me to do? What is my purpose? What is God's purpose? God's plan for my life, and I'm submitting, coming under the Lordship of that. You remember what I told you about Jim Futrell, pastor of First Baptist Church Orlando. He said he got up every morning, stood at the side of the bed, stood at attention, and saluted, and looked toward heaven and said, Private First Class Jim Henry, reporting for duty, sir. Imagine that. That's what, that's what James says. James says, hey, the first thing here, if you want a life that God can bless, then you need to submit, fall in rank, come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and basically say, Lord, here I am, private first class, Jeff Parker reporting to the commander-in-chief of God's army, the kingdom of God, ready for service. What do you want me to do today? Habert, in his commentary on the word submit, says it is in the aorist imperative. The aorist is a, is a grammatical structure we can't quite figure out when it comes to the Greek and the English. But it's in the aorist imperative. It conveys a sense of urgency, demanding immediate compliance. In other words, what he's saying is that you and I, we can't put that off. That principle of putting our life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we can't put that off for a moment. Not for one moment. But then the problem is pride, isn't it? You ever think you know more than God? Now, some of you are nodding going, no, not me. But let me tell you something. We're all liars if we say that. Because every one of us, at times in our life, have conducted our life outside of God's purpose, God's plan, God's will for our life, because we thought we knew more than God did. Some of the decisions that we made in life, we made without ever consulting God. You see, pride is a serious thing. One writer said this, put your spiritual antennas up real high. Listen closely. The idea control is that I want to control everything in my life. You see, that's the thing about flying. You know why some people don't want to fly? They don't want to be out of control. I want to control everything. Sheila asked me one time, we were getting ready to fly, leaving the kids behind, and I was a little bit concerned, and she said, uh, 
She said, we're sitting, listen, Therese, we were sitting in the parking lot of the airport, and I was crying. I didn't want to leave the kids, worried about leaving them, worried about something happening to me. Sheila looked at me, just that strong woman of God, because we were going to the mission field, and we were going through the training. We had to go to this session, and we had to leave the kids and go for missionary training and going through the process of where we were going to go in the world. And I didn't want to leave the kids. I was there sitting in the parking lot crying. Sheila looked at me and said, what would make you, what would calm you down? I said, I'll tell you what would calm me down if I knew how to fly the plane myself. If I could go around, check the engines, kick the tire, kick those tires, make sure that thing is airworthy. If I could be the one flying that airplane, if I could be the one sitting in that cockpit making those decisions, then I would feel safe. You know what I was saying? I don't want to have to let the control be given over to nobody else. I want to control my life. And you know what God said? This is not about a plane, son. This is about you doing the will of God for your life. This is about my plan, my purpose, my call on your life. I want you to go to Zimbabwe. I want you to go to England. And you're going to have to cut that out. You and I can't do anything but submit. And pride gets in the way. And we fail to learn the lesson of Gethsemane when Jesus, in a very difficult moment, said, not my will, but thy will be done. Jane Warren Wiersbe says this in this passage. He said, this word submit is a military term. It means to get into your proper rank. He went on to say, when a buck private acts like a general, there's going to be problems. There's going to be trouble. Listen, he goes on to say, unconditional surrender is the only way. Did you hear that? Listen to this. It is the only way for the Christian to have complete victory. It's when you finally relinquish all control and you say, God, it's all yours. Cast all your cares on him. Cheers. Do with me whatever you want. And you submit. And you turn it over. Listen to what he says, unconditional surrender. Wiersbe said is the only way for complete victory. If there, is any, uh, if there is any area of the life that is kept back from God, there will always be battles. Did you hear that? Whatever area you and I keep back from the Lordship of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a battle there. This explains, listen to what he concluded. This explains why uncommitted Christians cannot live with themselves nor live with anybody else. They can't get, they can't get, they're not at peace in themselves and they can't get along with nobody else. And let me tell you why. Because they refuse to put their life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. God, this is your life. You bought it. You paid for it on Calvary. You've redeemed me. Here I am. What did Paul call himself? A doulos. You know what that means? Slave of Jesus Christ. In the Greek it says, agonisomai eis erikomai. It means agonize to enter the narrow gate. Why? Because it's a tough life. And you and I can't live it without Christ. We don't have time to turn there, but you know what the enemy wants? Remember this, you can look it up later, Ephesians 4.27. You know what it says? You don't even have to look. This is what it says, real simple. And do not give the devil a foothold. 
Now, let, let me tell you what Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, and all the cultic groups that wander around here. You know what they want? Do you see that? You open the door, and what happens? If they can get a foot in the door, a salesman knows that. A salesman knows that. All they got to do is get what? A foot in the door. That's what Paul is saying to the Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. He's saying, listen, don't let the enemy get a foothold, get a foot in your life. Because if he does, then guess what? One writer said it, the way to resist the devil is to submit to God. Once you give the enemy a foothold in your life, you can't give the lordship of Christ to your life. He wants one sin, one area of disobedience, one closet sin, one sin which does so easily beset you. You know what he does? He gets a foot in the door and you can no longer live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You become a slave to that sin. Now watch what he goes on to say. He said, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. You know the definition of resist. Listen to it. To withstand, to strive against, to oppose, to keep at bay, or to fend off its influence or its advances. That's hard to do, isn't it? The prince of the air, he's coming at us from all angles, right? Here it is. I mean, for a man today, a man who battles with sexual temptation, he's getting bombarded. I mean, it's TV. It's in advertisement. Sex sells everything. And for a poor old man, this is a carnal fleshly need. It's, it's 80,000 men pulled. This is number one need. And the enemy pulls out all props. Let me tell you why. Because I believe we're closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ than we've ever been before. I believe COVID man-made, vaccine was a farce, Israel's in war, and the world is in a state of turmoil. And you know what the enemy does? The enemy says this, I know how to get the foot in the door of a man. Just get him in his computer, get him in his phone, get him in TV. Hey, you notice how the NFL now is pushing gambling? That's what the enemy does. The enemy takes a sport like the NFL, National Football League. And you know what the enemy says? Hey, do you notice how they do that? I'll give, we'll give you $200 for you to make a $5 bet. And now more and more men and women are losing everything. And my thought is, how much do the Mannings need? And how much do, does the sports industry need that we find men and women that are now in bondage to gambling? And nobody's saying a word. Why? Because you know what Satan does on Sunday afternoon? foot in the door you ever counsel hey you ever counsel somebody that's lost everything I have let me tell you what happens to them they lose their marriage they lose their kids they lose their house they lose their job they lose their friendships and family walks away from them and I've seen it over and over again even in families of ministers that's what the enemy wants. And James says, listen, you and I have to resist him. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8-9. He said, resist the devil. 
Going back to our illustration, withstand, strive against, oppose, keep at bay, fend off his influences, advances. Resist him. And what did James say? He'll flee. You know, you think about it, First uh, Luke 4, when Jesus was dealing with the devil. Do you remember that? You know what the devil did? The devil was throwing everything at Jesus. You know what Jesus said? It is written. It is written. Listen, this is the only offensive weapon you have. This is the only thing Satan cannot stand against. And hey, listen, you don't have time. Everybody listen. You don't have time to, uh, to do this. There's a note down in my Bible. I won't, I'll just leave that there. You don't have time to say, hang on, Satan. I know it's somewhere in here. Let me see. I remember. You ever do that? I remember reading that somewhere. So I think it's, is it Isaiah? Uh, it's somewhere over here in my Bible. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Let me tell you what I'm doing with this word. I'm hiding it in my heart. I'm putting it away. Why? Because when the enemy's firing at me and I'm standing there under the lordship of Jesus Christ and I want to resist the devil, you know how I'm going to do it? It is written. The Bible says, Isaiah says, Ezekiel said, Jesus said, James said, John said, shut up, Satan. The Bible said you resist him and he'll flee. You know what you're carrying? You're carrying a concealed weapon. That's what you're carrying. You've hid His Word in your heart. And you know what the Holy Spirit does when the enemy attacks you? Holy Spirit starts bringing it up. Bringing it up. You ever notice how Scripture starts coming to mind? You know what that is? That's the power of God's Holy Spirit bringing up the weaponry of God's Holy Spirit to shut the enemy up. And he flees. I remember years ago firing when we were on a firing range in the military, shooting a fifty caliber for the first time. My goodness. We had shot M1s, M14s, M16s. We'd shot an M60. If you don't know what an M60 is, remember the old Rambo movies. He's holding an M60. But a 50 caliber. The same one that's mounted on some of our attack helicopters, some of our fighter jets, to fire that. And you know what they had on the firing range down there? They had, they had uh, refrigerators. And every fifth round was a tracer round. In other words, you could see it. And you had that big magazine and you were behind this gun. And all of a sudden, it's just shaking you. Unbelievably so. And every fifth round, that, that tracer round, and you're watching that tracer as you're trying to hone in on that refrigerator. And when you hit that refrigerator with that 50 caliber, you rip it to shreds. My friend, you and I have the Word of God hidden in our heart. And it's like a fifty caliber to our enemy. He can't stand against it. One more, and we've got to close. What does he say? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Look at verse 8. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. Wearsby said this. He said, how do we do this? James gives the answer by confessing our sins and asking for, for cleansing. A.W. Tozer in his book, Nearness is Likeness, said this, The more we are like God, the nearer we are to God. Did you hear that? The more we are like God, the closer we are to God. 
Warren Wiersbe went on to say this, unlike Dozer, he said, God graciously draws near to us when we deal with the sin in our lives that keeps Him at a distance. Listen, my life to be here, I've got to submit. Hupatasso in the Greek. I've got to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. God, this is your life. Do with it whatever you want. I've got to resist the devil. How am I going to do that? I'm hiding the word in my heart that I might not sin against God. And when the enemy comes after me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm dealing with, I pull the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, Paul said in Ephesians. Thirdly, this, listen. Hey, listen, everybody listen. I can't bring sin here. I can't live here. I can't live in habitual, willful, defiant disobedience to God because let me tell you what God does. God says, I can't fellowship with that. I can't fellowship with it. You know, in Genesis 18:23, we don't have time, but Abraham, the Bible said he drew near to God. Everybody listen. Abraham drew near to God while Lot was living in Sodom. And you know what God had to do? God had to go down and rip. He had to rip Lot and his family out of Sodom. He had to drag them out and tell them that they would be punished if they looked back, and Lot's wife did. And she went into eternity that quickly. While Abraham was fellowshipping with God, asking God, God, what's going to happen to Lot? I mean, to Sodom. And God can't, and he kept contending for Sodom. All the while, while Abraham's here looking down on Sodom, Sodom, Lot's in the middle of Sodom. And God has to drag him out. And let me tell you, you know what God had to do? God had to burn down Sodom to make sure he didn't go back. And guess what? His two daughters got him drunk and slept with him. You don't think they're sexually depraved, promiscuous? You don't think Sodom had influenced this godly, righteous family? The Bible calls Lot that. That's what sin will do. And you know what God says? He says, listen, if you're going to dabble and play around in sin, let me tell you where you're at. You're not there. You're here. If you're, if you're living in disobedience... You're smoking and drinking, living it up, sexual promiscuity, pornography, gambling. You're living your life. You value your friendships more than you do holiness. Then God says, you're not there. You're here. And let God, you know what God will do? God will beat the snot out of you to get you right back over here. I mean, there's no other way around it. I want to I I give you this. Listen. John Calvin said this, he said, but if anyone concludes from this passage that the first part of the work belongs to us and that afterwards the grace of God follows, the apostle meant no such thing, but the very thing the Spirit of God bids us do, he himself fulfills in us. In other words, what Calvin said, it has nothing to do with the free will of man. It has everything to do with God's Holy Spirit, God's will within you. And I thought, how tragic. John Calvin is filtering his theology. He's filtering his scripture through his theology. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, God graciously draws near to us when we deal with the sin in our lives that keeps him at a distance. Listen, to, listen everybody, listen. God will never, never force you to give up your sin. God's gonna, gonna go, not going to go in and tweak your heart and change your heart. 
I mean, I pray, God, please do that for me. You know what God says? God says, this is a joint operation here. You're going you're gonna to draw near to me in repentance and brokenness over your sin. You're going to confess homo legeo. You're going you're gonna to agree with me that your sin is sin. You're going to quit making excuses for it. You're going to draw near to me. And you know what God says? Listen, everybody's watching. While I'm doing this, you know what God's doing? God's doing this. God makes us a promise. He said, listen, you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. James Habert, in extensive scholarly work, said this. He said, the idea, come near to God, indicates that their worldliness had resulted in a distance separating them from God. They must return to an intimate relationship with God. The aorist imperative command calls for a decisive, complete return on their part. This does not mean that the initiative for restored relations lies with men, but the imperative, listen, is a call to man's will to respond to God's will. It's sad that John Calvin could not see this. No wonder Martin Luther hated the gospel, uh, the, the book of James, and called it the gospel of straw, because it did not fit their theology. The will of man is so clear here in James when he says there's even a process here. He says, listen, watch what he says here. He says, come near to God, he will come near to you. You, you know, it's in the second person plural. What It's in the imperative. God says, God's saying to you. You know what he's saying? You and I are sitting there. God says, you, you, come here. But you leave that stuff out there. You put that away. You resist the devil, submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and come here! While at the same time, man's heart, our heart's broken in repentance. We can't sin and feel good about it. We're convicted. We feel the Spirit of God's Holy Spirit convicting us, and at the same time saying, God, you're right. Let me get rid of this stuff. Throw this stuff away. Put away the alcohol. Put away the gambling. Put away the sex outside of marriage. Put away all of it. Put away uncommitment. And all of a sudden, we begin to strip down almost naked. And as we're drawing near to God, God's drawing near to us. Oh, and I thought, why would God change this process in salvation when He describes it in sanctification? That's exactly what happens when a man gets saved. God's Holy Spirit and man's free will are coming together in a beautiful unison. As Habert says it, a call to man's will to respond to the divine call of God and they meet. I need to go longer, but I'm not. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough several weeks. And I shared with the men Thursday as I was up here cleaning and working in the church. And Rhonda, I saw Leo's number come up on my phone. And I hit answer and I said, Hey man, what are you doing? And Rhonda, his daughter, 
was crying and hysterically crying and said, Brother Jeff, she said, Leo is laying in the middle of the floor. I just found him and he's unresponsive. Immediately locked the church, called Willie and said, Willie, I'm leaving. Got into my truck, flashers going, pull up to his little home right over here on Woody. His daughter standing out there on the porch, weeping and crying. I said, Rhonda, where is he? She said, he's in there in the bedroom. I walked in, and this man, a hunter, a fisherman, a strong man, a hard man in many ways, was curled up in a fetal position at the foot of his bed. First thing I did, I said, well, let's cover you up. I said, Leo, I said, it's Brother Jeff. I pulled, and let me tell you something. I've seen people in comas when they hear my voice. They've been listening to it so long, they just know it. He immediately tried to talk. I pulled and threw that cover over his body, knelt down there by him, began to pat him and say, Leo, it's all right. I said, we're here. You're all right. Amos is coming in now. Begin to clear the way for the ambulance to move him out, take him, put him in the ambulance. I didn't know that that conversation, I didn't know that haircut the week before, I didn't know that would be the last conversation that I ever had with Leo. There was a time years ago when this man who I literally would talk to about the gospel when he had cut hair, when he cut ledges, when Ledge was a boy, and I talked to him about Christ, felt like I was getting nowhere until one day, one day I was in that front office. Just that hard, if not harder, rattling the door. I opened that door and this man, a fisherman, a hunter, man, a vet, a veteran, this man was standing there just weeping uncontrollably. He collapsed. He said, oh, Brother Jeff, my life is falling apart. My marriage is over. Everything's going wrong. So come in, Leo, sit down. And as he wept and cried, and I began to talk to him about Christ, he was a desperate man. He repented of his sin. He put his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ. And I say this, and I'll say this at his funeral. Outside of his grandkids, if you wanted to see a tender side of Leo, if there was, it was this church that brought it. And there was no hope. His lungs were gone. He had smoked over two packs of cigarettes every day, maybe more. His lungs were gone. Slipped out into eternity in a matter of a few moments. But I believe because of that discussion in that office that that man, when he took his last breath with that sigh in Psalm 90, in that moment, he took a fresh breath in heaven. Let me ask you something. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you saved? Have you come to that point? Secondly, are you the tool that can be used in the life of somebody who does not know Christ that you can introduce them? Let me tell you, everybody listen. There's some of you in this room, there's some that are listening and will be listening later. You know what the problem is with our lives? Is this. 
If I could stretch my legs far enough, we think we can ride on both spots. And you know what God says? God says, listen, if you want me to bless your life, if you want my presence, my power, my provision, if you want all of this, let me tell you what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to submit. You're going to have to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to sell out. I, I give it all to you. Surrender. Doulos. Slave. That's what I am. Sold out. That narcissistic, self-centered life over. Submit. I'm going to have to resist the devil because he's going to come after Hey, listen, you start moving that way, hey, everybody listen. He's going to come at you with everything that he has. And you say, well, he can't get me unsaved. No, he can't. But he can do what he did to David. He calls King David a man who was after God's own heart. He calls David, listen, to get caught up in an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and to kill Uriah. And you know what David said when all of that happened? David said this. He said, I had, he said, I've lost the joy of my salvation. You lost the joy. God says you're going to have to resist the devil. And you're only going to do that by the word of God and by living in my will. So you're going to have to resist him. He's going to flee. Don't worry, he'll run. And then God says, then I, then I want you, once you clean, once you've got some of this stuff that you need to get out of your life, that you have a free will and the ability to do, as if you go into our bedroom, we've got the old 1970 TV with the old, I mean, it looks like a piece of junk. And do you know why? Because I said, Sheila, I can't have Roku. I can't have that TV. I can't handle that. Get it out. And some of you men, you need to say to your wife, get it out! Let go of this. Put the God, I'm tired of dabbling in that, tired of playing in that, tired of flirting in that relationship, tired of this, Lord. I need to get my life where it needs to be. And God's saying, oh my, you're moving this way and God's moving this way. And God's saying, oh, welcome back. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my life, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy kingdom, thy work, thy purpose, thy plan, thy will from above. Now, Caleb, you smile and say, Caleb, this will change your life. And one day Caleb may be a great man of God, a great preacher of the gospel who's going into Western Europe where they've turned their back and their churches are closing. Many of them have turned into to bed and breakfasts. Some of them have been bought by the Muslims and turned into mosques, turned into places of other religions, other places. And God may plant the seed in a, in a sweet young boy for the gospel. And he may one day go back, get his education there, and be a great missionary in Western Europe. We just don't know. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, you've given us three, three commands, three imperatives. God, I've not just preached to this congregation. I've pre preached to myself. This sermon has been weighing on me.
Because, God, I'm bad to want to control my life. I'm bad to want to say, God, I know better than you do. And I not only want to control my life, I want to control the people that I love. I want to protect them. I don't want them to make bad decisions. But God, you have a plan and a purpose, a calling not only on my life, but on my children, my grandchildren, my dear friends, this congregation. Lord, help us to come under the Lordship, to come to this altar, to kneel at this cross and to say, Lord Jesus, here's my life. Cheers. Do with it whatever you will. Some of us need to go back and we need to resist the devil by looking back at our life and saying there's some things I've started doing. They're wrong. Started drinking again. Started messing around, playing around a little bit sexually. Started looking at a little pornography. Started gambling a little bit. Oh, it's just innocent. Oh, I've started doing this and started doing that. And God said, well, I tell you what, you keep doing that and you can't draw near to me. And God may be saying to us today, it's time to do inventory. Time to look at your life and time to take a moment and say, God, I'm, I'm ready to do business with you. So God, right now, I pray and ask you as I begin to do inventory, turning some areas over my life to you. And God, you'll see that. And God, as I'm drawing near to you, you'll draw near to me. And Lord, before we say amen, may every person in this room understand this. That when Jesus came to the climax of all of His teaching, at a moment I believe that He teared up and He choked. At a moment when the crowd gasped was in the moment when He told the story of the prodigal son. And when He came to that part, to where that father was out on that farm and he looked out and he saw that familiar boy, that certain walk, that certain gate, filthy, dirty, covered with the filth of a hog pen. <laughs> that father ran. That son was drawing near to the father and the father was drawing near to him. That son, the Bible said, he'd come to himself in a pig pen. He came to himself. And at the same time, the father was ready to meet him. Lord, may we realize that, God, when we repent and we let go of some of these strongholds the enemy has on our life and we draw near to you, that, God, you're drawing near to us. It's a promise. God says you can bank on it. You draw near to me, I'm going to draw near to you. And, oh, what a sweet fellowship it is when the believer again feels the presence, the power, the provision, the purpose, the plan, all those things that are so precious. Lord, we love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. You come.